0: Good evening to you, Parkview Church, blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I do not mean to be dramatic when I say this, but this has been a bad year. It's been a very bad year. It is a fact that so many of us have felt tangibly this year, at least since a year ago, past March or or April, As a church, we've experienced discouraging times, and not only as a church, but also in society. Think of the riots this past summer, and not just in society, but politically, we're we're becoming so divided. And of course, the biggest thing, COVID-19, a global pandemic that has caused upwards to 550,000 deaths in the U.S., not only deaths, but also the negative effects it's having on education, financial security, and healthcare, people losing jobs, people losing beloved mothers or brothers or friends, increasing anxiety and depression among our young people, and an underlying panic and realization, especially for those in the modern West, that we are more vulnerable and fragile than we once thought. And of course, we could all add our own personal innumerable challenges each of us have faced this past year, or the regrets that we're still carrying, or the shame, or the burden of some particular sin that you feel like you keep fighting, but that doesn't seem like there's been much victory. This has been a very bad year. And so what do we need amidst such a bad year? We need a good day. And not just any good day, we need Good Friday. And here at Parkview Church, we believe that our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to our crucified, risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so what better place to see the goodness of Good Friday than the crucifixion narrative in the Gospel of Matthew? We just heard the entirety of it already tonight. And so what I want to do in these few moments together is just reflect on the cross of Christ. I want to take three glances or three looks at Jesus in his crucifixion from the narrative in, in Matthew. And what I want us to see is how something so bad for Jesus can be so good for us. So let's look our first our first glance, our first look at the cross of Jesus. I want to notice the shame of the crucifixion of the son of God. First century crucifixion was a public spectacle of shame, humiliation and degradation. I mean just listen to the details of how the Roman soldiers treat Jesus. Verse 26, after releasing Barabbas, they scourge Jesus and deliver him to be crucified. In that word, scourging, it was a horrific torture technique where a soldier, a Roman soldier, would use a whip of sharp metal and bone to brutally wound the person just before they were crucified and nailed to a cross. Sometimes they would even beat a person so many times and so harshly with so much force they would kill the victim. And so after brutally beating Jesus, the text says they strip him of his clothes they put him in a scarlet row with a crown of thorns on his head and a scepter in his right hand. And then they kneel before him, the text says, mocking him, spitting him, hitting him with a staff on his head, all the while saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Scholars emphasize that in a culture of honor and shame, which first century Palestine would be that, crucifixion was not only the worst form of physical abuse, it was also the worst form of psychological torture And humiliation. And only after all of this torture and shame do they finally crucify Jesus. Simply put, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was a public spectacle of violent insanity and shame. And so we ask, we must ask, why all of this shame? But more deeply, we must ask, why would Jesus, the beautiful, precious Son of God, willingly give himself in obedience to the Father to such horrendous humiliation on the cross? Hebrews 2 gives us a window into why Jesus chose the path of shame and crucifixion. Hebrews 2 says this, the Father brings many sons to glory, many children to glory, that's us, by making the founder of our salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. Not that Jesus was sinful and then made perfect over time, but that his experience of obedience to the Father deepened through suffering, and most of all, through the suffering of shame on the cross. And so then Hebrews 2 finishes this way. So that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Good Friday is good for us because it was so bad for Jesus. Jesus enters into public humiliation through crucifixion so that he can stand beside you in solidarity amidst your shame and humiliation as your brother. Like a doctor who must do invasive surgery at the point of deepest pain, so Jesus invades your life at the point of your deepest shame. Jesus Christ, according to the word of God, is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you, no matter how ashamed you are of yourself. Remember, Parkview, as you look at Jesus, as we take this first glance at the cross, Jesus was crucified between two thieves, not two priests, yeah. meaning Jesus purposefully located himself right beside the worst types of people in society as a witness to his eternal heart of love and affection for any sinner, no matter what you have done. Parkview, Jesus Christ is not ashamed of you. That is the first word of the cross. The first glance we take At the crucifixion of the Son of God, he opens wide his heart toward you in the midst of your shame. And he says, I am not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Now let's take our second glance, a second look at Jesus on the cross. There Jesus is hanging Nails through his hands and his feet. And I want to notice the two groups of people, what they say to Jesus as they mock him as he's crucified. The first group are those who are just passing by, probably just going entering into Jerusalem. They pass by and they see this stranger they probably don't really know maybe. And they say, you who destroyed the temple and built in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. And then notice the second group, the religious leaders, as they mock Jesus. The same phrases, basically. Verse 42, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. Both sets of people misunderstand the meaning of the cross of Christ. It's a huge play of dramatic irony. They think that if Jesus really is the powerful king, if Jesus truly is God, then he would prove it by saving himself from the weakness and humiliation of crucifixion. If God is king, then he must come with a mighty act of power. That's what they were thinking in the first century. A mighty act of power, if God is king, to crush the Romans and to establish He must come in power to deal with the external problems that we see all around us. We want a God who wins, not a God who is weak. And we think the same way today God should prove himself powerful by changing our external circumstances. God, if you really are there and you're that big, you should deal with this, that, or the other problem in my life. The issue here is thinking that our main problem and our most terrible situation is external to us, outside of us. Therefore, God should be the kind of God who ought to act in power to change those external situations. Now, while God can, and he certainly does, work in different ways in our circumstances and and bring healing in different ways and express his, his power in different ways, we must not put all of our emotional eggs in that basket because if we do, if we look at Jesus and say, come down from the cross, show yourself to be the God who's really powerful, we are misunderstanding the nature of the crucifixion Of Christ, we must not forget our deepest problem. And this is the issue here, Parkview. The deepest problem is not something external to us, but something inside of us. It is revealed to us throughout the whole of Scripture, and every day our conscience bears witness to the fact that while we were made for loving obedience and joy with the God, who has created us in love, we are in a state of sinful rebellion and disobedience against our holy creator. It's what the Bible calls sin. In thought, word, and in deed, we live like a rebellious teenager, giving the middle finger to mom and dad as we walk out the door to live life according to our own desires. And so if our predicament is that we are in rebellion against God, we therefore deserve His just condemnation for our sin. And that's what's happening here in verse 45. Listen to this. Now from the sixth hour, darkness covered the land. It's an image from the Old Testament about the day of the Lord, how the sun would be covered by darkness. And it would be a sign, according to the Old Testament, Of God's angry wrath against human idolatry and rebellion. God's steady, righteous, just opposition to all sin in any form, thought, word, or deed. That is why then in verse 46, Jesus is crying out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Parkview here we discover the true meaning of the cross. The people as they look at Jesus misunderstand the cross. They think they are dealing with the God of, of power who would save himself by getting off the cross but instead what they are looking at is the son of God in weakness willingly staying on the cross so that he can save us. He is forsaken By the Father so that we are forgiven and we come to the very heart, the very center of the cross of Christ, the great mystery of Christianity. And as we look at Jesus on the cross, we see something so bad for Jesus is something so good for us. That as Jesus is crying out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, we are if we are in Christ, are able to cry in adoration, my Father, my Father, why have you so loved me? At the cross, the Son of God saves us from the condemnation and wrath of God all because of the love of God. The Son of God saving us from the wrath of God because of the love of God. That is the meaning of the crucifixion of the Son of God. We have sung about it already this evening. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place, in my place, condemned, Jesus stood. That's what's happening at the cross of Christ. He's bearing our condemnation that we deserve because of the mercy and grace of God. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So we've looked at the cross. We've seen the shame of the cross, the meaning of the cross. And now I want to look very quickly at the gifts of the cross. The gifts of the cross. There are two in particular. Verse 50, we see that Jesus cries out one last time and then yields up his spirit to the Father. And as we look at the cross, we see the eternal Son of God dead. On a Roman cross. And yet, the Gospel of Matthew emphasizes two immediate images that result from the death of Christ. I want to call these the two gifts of what Jesus Christ offers each and every one of us if we are humble enough to receive them. The first gift is fellowship with God. Listen to verse 51 and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The, the, the temple, the curtain here is, is, is blocking the way to the Holy of Holies, where, where God's presence was dwelling in the temple. And so what we have here in verse 51 is in the moment of his death, as the body of Jesus is hanging on the cross, the curtain is tearing in two. And so what we are seeing is Jesus revealing himself as the true temple, as the place where sinful men and women can meet with God through the bloody sacrifice of his death. And he offers to us through his death the first gift, which is fellowship with his Father, and all access 24 7 pass to the Father's presence through Christ. You see, you and I were made to be in fellowship with the Father. And so tonight I want to ask you are, are you right now in right relationship with, with God the Father through Christ? Have you embraced the offer of loving forgiveness? That only Jesus Christ provides. Through the death of his son, the heavenly father has torn the curtain in half and through his death, he now welcomes you back into his eternal presence forever. And all he asks you to do is turn away from your sin and to receive this gift of fellowship with him through Christ. And all it, all it takes is you just naming your failure and sin before the Father and saying, Father, I give this to you and in place I receive the perfection and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That he offers that to you tonight free. And you need to have the humility to receive it because it's not based upon anything that you have done. It's not based upon how well you're doing spiritually. It's not based upon what you feel, what your past is like, what your future might be. It's only and always based upon what Jesus Christ has done for you in his perfect life and his death on the cross on your behalf. It's given it to you free. Fellowship with the Father. The second gift, we'll close with this, is eternal life and a new creation. Some of you may thought that Verses 51 and 52 were sort of spooky. It says this, And the earth shook and the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen fallen asleep were raised. It just sounds strange, doesn't it? Tombs open, dead people raised to new life, and then going to visit their friends. This is all so strange. And yet as we look at it, what is going on here is this. We see the beginning of God's great plan for the whole world. We see the kind of, if you go in the movie theater right, there's a coming attraction before the actual movie that we we see a coming attraction of God's future world, a world that has been strangled by the grip of death, a world of COVID-19, a world filled with bad years, a world of chaos and sadness and misery and death, and yet what we see at the cross of Jesus Christ as the dead body of the Son of God is hanging there and dead people are raising to life, we see the death of death in the death of Jesus Christ, the ending of death through Jesus Christ, where everything sad comes untrue. And God is beginning a process in his world where he will defeat death and raise us to new physical bodies in a renewed Physical creation, that is what we see in this final look at Jesus on the cross. And so this is the gift to you is eternal life that begins now and lasts forever in a renewed creation free of sin and suffering and sorrow forever. And the gift is free and it is offered to you in love from a heavenly father who cannot wait to be with you forever. And so have you placed your hope and the death-defeating eternal life given to you in Christ. Parkview, it has been a bad year. But look again at this crucified Son of God and remember that for all the shame, that for every death, for every sadness, for all of our bad years, there is the Son of God hanging dead on the cross at Good Friday. And yet, Easter Sunday is coming. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbled at the greatness of your son Jesus Christ and in his humiliation to death on a cross for our sake, all out of love for us. And so come now, bring this gospel, this good news of the saving mercy of Jesus Christ deep into our hearts and produce faith for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen.